The Culture Guy Podcast. Back from the summer break. Or rather, from the European vacation break. Well, let's be honest, from the World Cup break. Welcome back, folks. This is Christian, the Culture Guy, and this is the Culture Guy Podcast. So, yeah, we've been missing for a while. Hasn't been a new episode, mainly because I was gone in Europe, traveling Italy, France, Spain, Germany, Austria. Got to take a look at the old stomping grounds a little bit. And obviously, following the World Cup without German participation. <laughs> yes, still sniffling. Um, and I'm also sniffling because while I was gone, or since the last episode went um, online, the cross-cultural field lost one of their greats. Um, you remember maybe me talking about somebody that I hold in high esteem as a cross-cultural teacher, as a cross-cultural expert or as just a fellow explorer of everything cultures. Remember this? That's the intro to Parts Unknown on CNN. A show produced and narrated by Anthony Bourdain. And unfortunately, Tony took his life um, some two months ago. Haunted by demons, but still a great mind, a a great storyteller, a great analyst of cultures, somebody who helped us, his, his audience, to discover foreign lands through food and the people who prepare it. So rest in peace, dear sir. Um, If you are not familiar with Parts Unknown on CNN, check it out. Netflix has it. Not all of the episodes. Um, The CNN website may still have some on it. Go check it out. It is definitely worthwhile. Um, Now, let's make a turn to the more more current affairs and the global trade that's not developing as some people might expect it to. We have new administrations in the U.S. We have new administrations throughout the European Union and a well more authoritarian governments throughout the Western and Asian worlds and somehow global trade seems to be a victim of cultural misunderstanding and my guest today is a French Pakistani expert who has worked and lived in that arena for many many years and has a very unique position on how to manage diversity and how to 
approach trading across cultures, cross-border business. My guest today is Sophie Lechner, and well, here she is. And today I have with me Sophie Lechner. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, Sophie. Would you, yes, you <laughs> help help us understand your yes. last name? Yes, Sophie Lechner. Lechner. So Lechner is uh, of uh, Hungarian origin on my uh, husband's side. So uh, nothing to do with me. And as I, as I said in the introduction, you have a, a very interesting personal past because you're half Pakistani and half French. So your last name, as we now learned, is that of your husband. So what was your maiden name? Actually, it was Ghani, which is kind of the Smith or the Jones uh, of Pakistan. It's a very, very common name there. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That was so, so, so tell our audience, please. Um, you, you grew up or you were born in Pakistan and you were raised in Europe and in, educated mm -hmm. in Europe and North America. How, how was that path for you in, in, in the Cliff Note version? Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so my, my mother uh, uh, was French and uh, met my father in uh, the UK and they lived there for a while and then went to uh, Pakistan and that's where I was born. I only stayed there until I was uh, three. So I have very, you know, sketchy memories of, uh, of that time. So really, then they went to France. So my childhood was in France mostly. I uh, went to a French school and um, and then an international high school. And um, then I studied in London for uh, three years and um, with with a lot of international uh, people. So I've, I've always been in a very international sort of um, environment. Right. And, um, and then it was uh, when I, after having worked a few years in France, I uh, decided to do an MBA in the U.S. And... Um, have been here ever since. So that's about 25 years ago. Where, where in the US are you based? I'm in New Jersey. So very close to New York City. Uh, spend a lot of time there. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, yeah, so East Coast. Now, you, you kind of went over your, your education a little en passant. Um, I think <laughs> it, it would be fair to acknowledge that you didn't just go to any school, right? You went to the Sorbonne in Paris and you went to... Mm -hmm. Uh, King's College in London, and you went to Columbia Business School in the US, all three of them very mm -hmm. renowned and notable schools. So what, what is your specialization? Yes, I, I, the culture in my family was very much, um, you have to go to schools that are recognized um, globally. So, you know, wherever you travel, people will know, you know, what you're, what you're, uh, your uh, education was. So um, I was lucky enough to find when I was in an international high school, this degree, which is an English and French law degree. So uh, you get uh, the two, um, the two, um, like the, the maîtrise in France and the LLB, the bachelors of laws in th two, four years, <laughs> sorry, four years instead of the seven that it would be because the maîtrise is four years and the LLB is three years. So, um, so that was two years in London, two years in Paris. And that was, um, a really, you know, fun and enriching experience. So, so you, you're both familiar with Anglo-Saxon case law and the mm -hmm. uh, continental European codified law, which are two completely exactly. different legal systems, which mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oftentimes throw North American businesses for a loop when they do business in continental Europe for the first time because the legal system is so completely different or vice versa. Yeah. Right? 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, those those are that's kind of one of the big differences that most people, I would say, um, even business people are not necessarily aware of when they they start doing cross border business. And it is one of the things that we touch on on our in our uh, programs. Yeah, that, that's what that would have been my next question. So you are the president CEO of Global Commerce Education, um, mm -hmm. and and the way we met or the way I was made aware of you was through your social media activity and and the mm -hmm. branding and the logo that follows you is G two Experience, the G two Experience. So can mm -hmm. you explain to our audience what does Global Commerce Education do and how does that relate to the brand G two Experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so G2 experience is um, what we created first, actually. It's, and, and G2 is for G, it's seen as G squared, and it's for global growth. Um, and experience is um, really the sort of the, the, the philosophy of the program. So we created this program, the G2 experience, I'll tell you in a second what it is um, and for who. And then we realized, you know, there's a quite a few services that we want to be able to uh, provide that are not exactly the program, but that are, um, you know, um, within that family. And so we created the company Global Commerce Education, pretty generic name um, to kind of cover um, all of it. But we had already created our website as G2 Experience. Okay. Um, so the G2 Experience we created really to help businesses do um, uh, to, to cross borders and um, initially we had planned to, ha to, to help U.S. companies go abroad and then by a series of pivots and you know finding out and, and people's interest we actually um, are now focused on foreign companies who want to do business in the U.S. so mm -hmm. that's the main, main um, uh, activity. So how do you help the, these so foreign the, entities? Mm -hmm. what, what are the services that, that mm -hmm. your company is providing to them? Mm -hmm. So the G2 Experience is a program uh, that is based on immersion. So it's a one-week immersion program um, where people, where, you know, executives, uh, international business development executives um, who want to enter the U.S. market would come here and um, for one week, and there's a there's some pre-work and and some some workshops in the country, but really the center is this immersion. Um, they come here, and we provide uh, cross-cultural training, uh, a very important component of the program, as well as um, some strategic uh, brainstorming and and work to just make sure that they really looked at all the different opportunities and sort of. Um, strategic directions that they might take uh, with the in the US market because there's many different ways to do market entry mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of networking a lot of introductions to um, a set of um, uh, vetted uh, service providers and you know clients potential clients or you know help them have conversations that would really uh, inform uh, their market entry so a, a, a full suite of market entry support services, if I hear that correctly. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and the, the G2 experience is, is, is um, it's more of a training uh, capacity building program, so we offer it to groups of companies. So for that, our clients are more um, 
chambers of commerce and and um, you know uh, uh, export development agencies etc from around the world um, but we also offer under sort of the global commerce education uh, umbrella we offer more individualized services where um, it's really putting companies is um, in contact with uh, some potential clients or you know help them do some initial sort of market research um, informal market research through conversations and things like that okay now um, going back to your personal experience as as a young uh, mm -hmm. as a child and as a young woman uh, being mm -hmm. growing up in a bicultural family um, having a non-european last name did you ever find yourself as as, as a as a young person um, justifying why you live in that country or did your peers ever ask what's with that name and where you're from and you look different or your pair one of your parents looks different did, did any of that ever happen and did you feel that you were different from your peers you know it's it's really astonishing to me that actually I did not um, and um, it was looking back I mean it was very apparent that my dad was very different and growing up in Paris uh, in France back then um, it really was not very common um, my, my dad was pretty dark-skinned and so it was pretty obvious but as a kid I never really felt uh, the difference um, my mom told me stories about um, teachers sort of lumping me with um, a few other uh, kids that had uh, different sounding names, uh, perhaps from North Africa, which is, you know, a, a country where um, that was, well, it's not a country, but a series of countries where France um, had uh, some colonies at one point. So there's a, there's a quite a large North African um, immigrant population mm -hmm. in France and um, a lot of times they were looked down on and so um, that was happening but I, I myself did not even did not feel it so okay. I guess I was fortunate or my parents protected me well or but um, yeah no I didn't I didn't feel that so how did you experience your difference as a as a student and then as a young professional living um, or having brought having been brought up with um, two parents that are from different cultural backgrounds you've studied in mm -hmm. England the UK in, in in France and in in the US how have all these influences shaped you and how do you see you being um, basically a, a, a tool for others to glean from mm -hmm. your multicultural experience. How, how did that shape mm -hmm. you? Yeah, um, I love the way you asked the question. Um, it, as from the right from the beginning of my uh, my my life, my childhood and and high school and and then college and and work experience, um, I actually didn't really realize that I was different. I thought everybody was like me, you know, it just was taken for granted. Um, so actually what happened was after I went to college and started working, um, at one point in my career, I was, I found myself in an environment that was completely French um, in another, in not in Paris, so in another large city, but still 
uh, not Paris, so much less cosmopolitan. And I found myself with French colleagues and French clients. And, and that's when I had a cultural shock. Um, I realized at that point that actually I am different or all these people around me are different because they're what I call now monocultural. Mm. And I think that people that are monocultural have a completely different outlook on life than multicultural people. Right. Um, so, so, you know, from that point on and then sort of on and off in, uh, along my career, um, I knew that I could not function in an environment that was monocultural. I, mm. I was that one year uh, where I worked in that environment, I felt as if I was um, um, stifled. I could not breathe. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, it was really restricting. It was, it was quite a shock. And so, so I said, okay, well, I'm never working in that kind of environment again. So, of course, you know, coming to the U.S., uh, you know, by definition, it's, uh, it's never monocultural because I'm a different culture. but. Um, Within the U.S., I realized very quickly that there was very limited, um, how should I say, there's more mono, monoculturalism in the U.S. than I think in, in, in many other parts. That so, is true. We, so I, I, I want to share that. Let, let me interrupt yeah. you real quick, though. The, the, sure. let's, go back, let's go back to that one year where you felt you were in a very monocultural environment. How did that manifest itself in a day-to-day? -day? So what were some of the struggles or the stifling experiences you had? Yeah. Um, I think it was, um, I think you'd have to really take it one degree away from the actual, you know, multiculture um, question because it wasn't so much about, you know, talking about other countries or whatever, but it was just, I think, the, the mindset. Like, people were, and, you know, these are generalizations, but that's just how I felt. I, I felt that people had less, um, considered less options when there was a question that arose. Mm. Um, were more um, linear in their thinking. And, you know, I'm from a very linear uh, culture, although less than the German one, <laughs> granted, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that basically there was less, um, of course, you know, conversations were somewhat more restricted because there was less awareness of, of, of other viewpoints, but I think it's really the, the, the type of thinking. Well, the, 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 this is excellent though, Sophie, and I, I want to point this out or, or phrase it in a different way. So when you mm -hmm. say that that environment made you feel like the people around you were limited in their choices it mm -hmm. is actually if you look at the inverse so if you work mm -hmm. in a diverse environment in a multicultural mm -hmm. environment all of a sudden everybody has more options at hand oh, yeah. you have a, a a multiplication of resources exactly. and and if you look at recent um events um a couple of months ago some of you might remember um, some global brands, one Swedish um, mass manufacturer of affordable clothing, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, had a campaign going on that ruffled some feathers um, because it displayed a dark-skinned young boy with a sweatshirt that said, the, I think, the coolest monkey in the zoo or something. So... 
one might assume, and I don't know what the board composition of that company is, but one might assume had they had a little more diversity in their decision-making groups, mm -hmm. it, an ad like this would have never been authorized. It would have never hit the market. So yes. limiting your views of the world or limiting your choices can actually be detrimental to your business goals, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that when you have a company that has a very, you know, monocultural um, composition, uh, you may be more effective in the sense of rapid decision making, which is an important factor in business. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, uh, because a lot of people say, you know, well, multicultural and you have to have many more conversations and the whole thing about consensus and it's complicated and it's messy. And yes, you know, life as a human being is messy <laughs> we're not robots right. and um i think that you know if you manage it properly and you know that that therein lies the key if you manage diversity properly you can get such richness out of it for the individuals involved as well as for the company and the you know the outcome um but you know some people just don't some companies don't manage it well and of course yes it could be very messy Right. So what would you recommend to your clients when they're dealing with that messiness? What are some of the, um, the key points that you're driving home with them? Mm. What, what is it they need to do in order to, to clean up the messiness of that process? Yes. Um, I think the biggest the first step is really awareness that, there, that these differences exist and, you know, to what extent they exist. Um, as soon as you have that first step of awareness, you're already, you know, well on your way. Um, and within that, or sort of second maybe, is um, making sure that everybody is very, um, of course, that word open-minded, everybody uses it and it's, uh, it's absolutely necessary. But I think being exposed to the other cultures, sharing as much as possible between, um, between the people of different cultures, and I think one thing that's very important, and you know, of course, you and I, or you know, we we bathe in that day in and day out. But helping people to view the world through certain tools and models, because what happens with a cross-cultural understanding is it's it's very amorphous. It's it's really something that's hard to get your hands your head mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. So I find that a lot of these um, templates and tools and models and you know I could cite some names but I think you know for most people it wouldn't resonate. But there's different models and templates and I think they are useful to begin the process of understanding just so you can sort of orient yourself almost like a a map when you first move to a city and then you know you can find your way around afterwards better but initially you do need that map right i agree and and i'm, I'm glad you're you're providing that map um sophie it was a pleasure talking to you today this was excellent some some really good insights and i, I especially like the your experience of the monocultural workplace, how, how it um, basically opened your eyes to the fact that you didn't want to work in such an environment any longer. And I, I think uh, the work that you do, uh, as similar as it may be to the work that I do, I think you, you said we, we, we bathe in it day in, day out. It, it gives us the opportunity to 
um, to hone our skills and to to mm -hmm. perfect or well I don't like the word perfect but to to improve mm -hmm. our skill set or skill level with these maps mm -hmm. tools in order to help others find their way to becoming more culturally competent. Mm -hmm. okay. Sophie, it was a pleasure. Uh, how do you say it in French? It was un plaisir, I guess. Un plaisir. No, actually, I wouldn't say that, but I'm no. not sure now that you asked me. I'm not sure what you would say. Uh, le tout le plaisir est pour moi. That's what ah, you would say. There we go. Sorry, Thanks. we have to complicate things and make them longer. I'm sorry about that. Oh, well, yeah. and then we started in German, which will um, fill a whole page. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, that, that's the beauty of English. We can shorten things up a little bit. Yes, um, definitely. So we, we will definitely um, post all the links to your social media accounts and how you can find Sophie in the show notes. So I would encourage you to check out the show notes on the website, click through it, connect with Sophie, um, make sure you um, get the full picture, not just this episode. And I thank you for being on. Much success to your endeavors. And I hope thank to you. connect with you in the future again soon. Thank you very much for having me, Christian. It was a pleasure. My, my pleasure. Yep, there you go. If you don't manage diversity, it'll be messy. That was Sophie Lechner of the G2 Experience. about the World Cup and we talked about Tony Bourdain. We have some articles on our blog that I would encourage you to browse through or even read in detail. Yeah, sure, the World Cup's over, but still there were 32 countries represented at the tournament and all came with their unique culture. We are taking a look at those cultures in the blog posts you can find on the Culture Mastery website. As well as in a bit to If you like what you hear, if you like what you read, if you like what you see, please go ahead and share it on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, whatever your tool is. Make sure you hashtag it with the culture guy. And obviously, follow us. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. If you're listening to this podcast by now, I think you know that. Make sure that more people know that. I really would appreciate you helping me spread the word. With us, the Culture Guy is out, and talk to you next time.